Good morning. Hi, my name is Brandon Shannon. And the Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 5. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Lisa Shannon, and the New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 from the message. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Beckett Chin. Please stand for the gospel reading. Found in John 1, 9-13 and 3, 16-17. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Man, you may be seated. Beautiful. Good work, Beckett. Something about the voice of the child reading that again. Well, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we talk about love. And Advent has been this whole, this, these last few weeks have been weeks of waiting, weeks of longing, weeks of anticipating. And we realize how poor we are at waiting. Um, and it's not just the children in our household who can't wait to open presents. It's not just the kids, at least in my house, one particular four-year-old, you know, who um, wants to know every day why it's not Christmas yet. And, uh, but, but we're not all that different as adults. We don't, we don't want to wait for the things that we've been asked to wait for. 
We don't want to wait for the full and final restoration of all things. We don't want to wait for everything to be set right again. We don't want to wait for this great shalom. But I tell you, the beauty of Advent is that we remember that this future hope rests on this one thing that already happened. Because God came, we know he is with us still. And we know in the end all will be well. So here we are, we're talking about, we've, we've done hope in the first week, and we talked about how the, uh, our, our, we have a way of marking time that reminds us of our hope. And then we talked about um, peace, peace being this great shalom and everything coming together and coming alive and God beginning to do that even in our hearts. And then last week we talked about joy, when we don't feel joy and when all around us is of sadness and brokenness, and maybe when we feel like that stump of a tree that has reached its dead end, and yet this hope that shoots are breaking out through it. And here we are today talking about love. Now that's maybe a word that a lot of us can say, oh yes, I love love. And if you've been watching the Hallmark Channel the last few weeks, you really love love. You know, because there's everything, you know, it goes right. Now, I don't watch too many of those, but um, even if you watch one of the, uh, the classic holiday movies, you know, we sat down as a family the other day and watched It's a Wonderful Life, and it had been like, I don't know how long since I watched it, but I was like bawling at the end. You know, I couldn't remember how George Bailey gets out of his bind, and I won't tell you because, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's amazing, and we love this because... It makes us feel warm and it makes us feel good. But after enough time passes, we realize that we don't really have enough in the reservoir of our own hearts to be able to love others well. And so at Christmas time, we feel kind of, okay, yes, I'm going to be loving and we're going to give gifts and everybody's happy. And then it doesn't take but a few days, maybe a few hours. And then all of a sudden you start getting snippy and you start getting short with one another and you start saying things and you start, you know... snapping at each other, and then you realize, man, I, I don't have much in this reservoir of love. I want to be this loving friend. I want to be this loving spouse, and I want to be this loving... And, and I can sort of get there for a little while, but then I just kind of I feel like I sink back down again. And for some of us, maybe that's due at least in part to how you grew up. And maybe you, you had parents that weren't great at showing love, and so learning to love is difficult for you. Maybe you had friends that hurt you at an early stage in life, and so somewhere you went from a child that was outward. You know, you think of a baby whose arms are outstretched. You come to, we come to the crib to get Jane, and she's like this. And somewhere something happens to us in life where what used to be this all of a sudden becomes this, and we get suspicious, and we get guarded, And after enough time that goes on where we've been hurt by, maybe hurt by those who should have loved us, maybe hurt by the very people that we thought loved us, and then our hands stop being like this, and they start going like this, and eventually like this, and then we find ourselves kind of curled up aside with fists clenched, saying, I don't know about any of this stuff. I'm not giving my heart to anyone. I'm not giving my love to anyone. I'm not... I'm not ready to take a risk and actually care. And so you find people, maybe you are this way, or maybe you know people who are this way, that though they have the veneer of being loving, that really somewhere inside their hearts they've stopped loving. 
They've stopped really giving themselves because it hurts too bad. Because there's been too many times where they've been let down. And then we come to this gospel reading for this morning when you hear the words of John 3.16 and it's not some guy with a card holding it in the back of an end zone during a ball game. But it's become so familiar that even when I read it, you say, yeah, 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 for God's will, I love you, right, right. And so familiar that we've stopped hearing it. Or maybe so hard to believe that we've stopped hearing it. How could this really be? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we hear these words, we've heard them a thousand times, and somewhere inside we're saying, man, I wish that were true, but all of my experiences of life have taught me that the people that you care about will eventually let you down. So what's the point of letting yourself receive love? And we, and we find ourselves caught in this trap because we can't give love if we've never received love, but we're not willing to receive love because we're not sure there's anybody who can really love us. And so even in church, when the preacher says, for God so loved the world, somewhere inside of us we say, I, I, I don't think he's talking about me. When God so loved the world, he's, he must mean the ones who've, Got it together. Look at that family. Look at those kids. Look at that one family where the kids said, Hi, my, bye, Mom. I'm that's okay. My kid would never say that. You know? For God so loved the world, He must mean the people who would have made good on God's investment, right? I mean, aren't the ones that God loves, the ones that sort of have shown themselves to be lovable? And deep down, we have a hard time understanding any kind of love that isn't connected to our own merit of that love. And so we say, well, if God loved the world, he must have loved the ones that were lovely. But I'm not lovely. You don't know my story. You don't know the questions. You don't know the doubts. You don't know the things I wrestle with. You don't know how I struggle with anger, or you don't know how I wrestle with this, or that you, you don't know. I, I, I'm not very lovely, and so maybe God does love the world, but maybe God has grades of love. And maybe he gives out the full premium package love to like the good Christians. And maybe for me, we get crumbs of the Lord's love. Maybe there's this sort of tiered system where the ones who get the feast of love are the ones that are lovely and lovable, and the ones that get at least a few crumbs are the ones that have had too much happen, that have never really been good at this love stuff anyway. Never really learned to receive it. Never really able to give it. Just kind of hard, though you don't want to be. I'll never forget the moment. It's early in the morning, about eight years ago, eight and a half years ago. We woke up and Holly says, I think it's time. And I said, okay, let's go. Got the bag packed, let's go. And then my wife, being tough, a few minutes later says, no, I don't, I don't think it's time. I don't want to get to the hospital and then tell us that it's a false alarm. I said, no, babe, I think we should go. No, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. She's you know, brushing her teeth. Then all of a sudden she's on her knees in pain. <laughs> like, honey, we're going to go. This is, this is our first, but I think we should go. 
says, hang on. <laughs> a couple minutes later, you know, no, no, I think I'm okay. I think I'm fine, you know. So, babe, we're going. So March 28th, 2005, we drive to the hospital, and we get there, and, you know, we end up waiting, as sometimes happens when it's your first, and we're there all through the day, and it's about a week earlier than we thought, and my parents were flying in from Malaysia, and they, had, they were about to land in the airport, and we were, the doctor was telling us we were getting closer and closer to the moment, and so my friend Jared Anderson, I called Jared and said, Jared, can you go to the airport and pick up my parents? And he goes, picks them up, and we have some other friends waiting with us. And, and then the moment came when Sophia was born. And I remember, <laughs> all that hair. <laughs> And this is only maybe an hour or so after she was born, and they you know, cleaned her up, and, and they set her in that plastic tray thing, you know, which is so wonderful, <laughs> and sterile, and, and they roll this cart, you know, into the room, and, and uh, my parents had been waiting outside, and I remember the moment when uh, they came in, and the three of us stood there looking at Sophia, and I felt this flood come over me that I'd never felt before. This feeling of love. Yeah. <laughs> That's our fourth, not one to be left out. <laughs> this flood of love for this little tiny five pound, however many ounce thing that didn't yet know really who we were. And in this moment, I just couldn't stop the tears because I realized I was now a dad. But I was standing next to my parents. There was also something else I realized. That I will never understand how much a parent loves a child. That you'll never know how much a father and a mother, when all goes well, love a child. And I stood there thinking, all the years that, I mean, I didn't, wasn't consciously thinking all these things, but it was all just sort of flooding me, me in the moment. This love that I was feeling for this one, and then realizing that this is how my parents have loved me over all the years. And, and then remembering the saying, and maybe you've heard it, that love always flows down. That the one below will never love the one above as much as the one above loves the one below. That love always flows down. And you parents in the room know this. Your children will do all kinds of things to show that they love you, but it will never touch the way you love them. And you don't rub it in their face. Well, sometimes you might, but in general you don't. But you don't, because there's something supernatural that flows and floods out of you in that moment. And you think, where did this come from? I think it's in that moment that we feel just a glimpse of what our Father in Heaven feels for you. Now, I know that love is not a feeling. I get that. But I think sometimes we make love so conceptual and cerebral that we forget that you have a Father in Heaven whose heart bursts with affection for you. 
stands over your little cradle and weeps and says, Oh, my daughter, my son. And I've been thinking this weekend of what it must have been like for Joseph and Mary holding a baby with dark hair, probably just like that, maybe. And this love flowing out of their hearts. And yet in some strange way, this baby saying, oh, but if you only knew the love that's been going on all eternity past. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit leaning over the balcony of heaven, looking into the world that they lovingly created together and saying, we made this world. We're going to save this world. We're going to rescue this world. And so a baby that is the recipient of so much love and care is yet somehow also the symbol and the picture of this providential love of God above. All wrapped in this moment. And then I think of Paul's words in Ephesians 3, where Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The original source. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. If you're the underlining type, my gosh, these are the phrases to underline. These are the prayers to pray over your family. Pray Paul's prayer over yourself, over your family, over this church. I pray this over you from time to time, that you be rooted and grounded in love. And Paul goes on, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now can you imagine what it might be like to be rooted and grounded in that kind of love? How would you live differently? How would you live differently if you believe that you are truly and deeply loved? Just think for a moment. Imagine for a moment if that really got inside you and you got rooted in it, like unshakable, like a big tree with deep roots and it's just not going anywhere. Would you live differently? Would you hear the words of others differently? Maybe we could say you would begin to live from love and not for love. Maybe we would say you would begin to live from a place of love. Maybe the difference between living from a place of love versus living for love is that we are able to receive what we receive from other people as gifts, not as demands. Does that make sense? Think of this. When all of a sudden we say, boy, that friendship, that encouraging word, that smile, that love, that person, that's a gift. I receive it as a gift. 
It's not my very sustenance. My very sustenance goes somewhere deeper than that. So that all of a sudden when someone gives a word of criticism or correction, it doesn't crush you. Do you know that feeling? Imagine that feeling. When someone's able to give correction and it doesn't crush. When someone's able to tell you that you've disappointed them and call you to confess your sin, which is what we do with one another, even Christians, right? Actually, only Christians. We don't go calling the world anyway. Okay, so. But we go to one another and say, hey, you've wronged me. And, And when we're rooted in love, we're able to hear that and to say, Yes, you're right. I confess. I've done that. And that comes from this place of, of hurt and brokenness. And I, 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 I repent. We're able to respond that way because we're rooted in love. But see, if we weren't, then when someone says, hey, can I talk to you about something? So, oh, wait a minute, man. That was not me. Totally not my fault. So, hey, can I just, I just, when a spouse or Someone says, you know, that really hurt my feelings. We're, we're working on this with our kids. It's not going so well. But we're working on, um, um, on being able to use phrases like, you know, when you said that, that really hurt my feelings, rather than, you meanie. So anyway, we're working on this. It's a work in progress. But, but imagine when someone says to you, that was hurtful, that your response is not to hurt them further. And say, well, yeah, well, you want to know what you do that hurts me? Striking back, always striking back because everything makes us feel hurt. But when you're living from a place of love, you're able to listen and say, yeah, I'm sorry. Because you know that even the confession of the worst thing about you doesn't change your belovedness. Because you know that even when the ugliest part of your heart is exposed and someone calls you on it or someone sees it or someone's hurt by it, it it doesn't shake you. Why? Because you're still rooted and grounded in the love that comes from a Father in heaven. A love that is perfect. But we're back to this tricky place. That giving and receiving love still do require vulnerability. There's no getting around this one. So we started, we led with that this morning by talking about that and how we go from hands out here to fists clenched and back here. And now we're back to this place to say yes, but to give or to receive love still requires vulnerability. And I think, by the way, that there's a difference between vulnerability and honesty. And it's worth just saying one thing about that difference. See, honesty is very often about wanting to get something off your chest. This person comes up to you and says, you know what, i got to be honest, man. Or, actually, in our day, we say, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, you, or you post whatever you want on Facebook or Twitter and then hashtag, just saying. And it's sort of just licensed, you know, I'm just saying, man. Which is our way of sort of absolutizing honesty. That honesty is always the right decision because I'm just saying. These people shouldn't have that, and those people are like that, and these people are so weird, and these people are sinners, and the world's going to hell, and I'm just saying. <laughs> did we have a recent incident like that a couple of days? Oh, 
And so we can air out our opinions because it's all about honesty. Just being honest, man. But do you know, honesty is about getting something off your chest. Vulnerability is about letting someone else into your heart. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Honesty says, I just got to let the world know. I just got to let him know. I just got to let her know. I just got to let them know. And vulnerability is very different because vulnerability says, I've got to let them in. Honesty says, I got to let them know. Vulnerability says, I got to let them in. And so the same scenario could be played out a totally different way. So a spouse has a little spat, or a you know, married couple, and the husband says, Man, babe, you're really cranky today. I'm just being honest. I was hoping for a good day, and like the way you're acting, like, gosh, pretty sure I don't want to hang out today. <laughs> Probably not going to go well for you. <laughs> vulnerability, vulnerability says, you know, I'm not sure what's going on, but these things you're saying hurt me because it, 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 it brings up this fear that I have, and it's this fear of that I'm never going to be good enough for you. What? Huh? And it might take a little while for the emotions to settle in both people. But see, vulnerability is the game changer because somebody just went low. Someone decided to not say, I'm just going to be honest. Someone decided to say, can I tell you the fear that that just pushed on in me? Can I tell you the hope that that just diminished in me when you said... Wait, when you said this thing, you just sort of squashed all sort of excitement I had building up. And I had these hopes of us doing this together. And right when you shut that down right away, that made me feel like, oh. But see, that's risky because it's very different than just being honest. That's being vulnerable. And now you, we're back to square one because you can only be vulnerable when you know that you are loved. But you can only receive love when you become vulnerable. God bless you, everyone. Good luck sorting this out. <laughs> it's the riddle of life. What do I do? And you're thinking to yourself, you know, this is a catch-22, because which go who goes first? I don't want to go first, because I'm not sure if I'm loved enough to be vulnerable, and I want to be, but I won't be loved enough if I don't let myself be vulnerable. I... Somewhere in the cosmos... All of humanity is saying, who goes first? Who goes first? Who's going to be vulnerable? Who's going to take the risk and put themselves out there? Who's going to risk being rejected and being hurt? Who's going to risk saying something, doing something, and finding that it doesn't work, that they don't want you, that they don't? Who's going to do that? And all of humanity is looking around saying, I don't know, not me, you, maybe you, I don't know, I do. And God says, I'll go. Father sends the Son comes as the most vulnerable form of humanity. Jesus comes as this little helpless baby who's cold, who's hungry, who's dependent. And God says, I'll go first. I'll go first. John's gospel says he came into the world, but the world knew him not. And they re he was rejected by his own. And we know that the story of Jesus making himself vulnerable is not just the story of the incarnation, though the incarnation is a foreshadow of it. 
Because if Jesus would come as a vulnerable, tiny, weak, and helpless baby that cries and hurts and is sick and in pain, I'm serious. If Jesus would do that, then what's coming in his life? What's coming is the day when they whip him and beat him and spit on him and disown him when one of his beloved disciples says, I don't think that's the Jesus I was following. This isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for a king who would turn it all away and, and change everything. And this is what kind of life was he setting himself up for? A life where his friends would deem him a failure, where his family would just weep in confusion, where followers would disperse, and where Jesus alone on a cross with arms outstretched, would take on the most vulnerable position in all of human history. And with that, Jesus is saying, I'll go first. I'll go. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how much I love you. I'll show you what you mean. And you may reject it. You may not be able to receive it, but I'll go first. Jesus became vulnerable so that we could become rooted in love. Jesus became vulnerable so that we, the ones who should be frail and weak and vulnerable, can instead become rooted and grounded in love. All we see is our own brokenness sometimes. All we see is our own brokenness. But Jesus, see, Jesus came announcing your belovedness. And this isn't just something sort of, you know, um, touchy-feely. Oh, my belovedness. This took the shape of the cross. This took the form of Jesus saying, I'll take your sin on me. You know how the Father lavished perfect love and you know how humanity walked away and rejected and turned it in God's own face? You know that? I'll take that on me. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. 1 John 4. Paul says it this way in Romans. This is how we know love. That while we were still sinners, while we had been the ones that walked away from a perfect love, while we had been the ones that said, I can't handle this, while we were the ones who said, no, I don't want this, while we were the ones who said, no, God says, I'm still coming. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes I think we hear John 3.16, and what we hear is, Jesus came to the world so that I could be loved. And sometimes we push a version of atonement or a version of the cross that sounds in our ears, even though it doesn't technically say this, but it sounds in our ears and it sounds in our hearts like what we're saying is, I was not loved, but then Jesus died and now the Father will love me. So that somehow your belovedness follows the cross. But remind me of those words of that famous verse again. For God so that the loving came before the giving. That you are not loved because Jesus came. Jesus came because you are loved. You are not loved because Jesus came. Jesus came because you are loved. Now, 
Don't confuse that with saying, well, that's because I'm worth it. In the sense of, I've earned it. See, worth and worthiness are confusing words for us sometimes in English. Because there is a sense in which we say we were unworthy in that we had not earned this. But unworthy is not the same as worthless. Does that make sense? Unworthy means there was no way we could have earned or deserved this love. Worthless means, well, you had nothing, there's nothing to begin with. But if the Father in heaven made you and called you by name, then you've had a worth beyond what you've known. That doesn't mean you earned it. It means it was bestowed on you from the beginning. Bestowed on you from the beginning. Like Sophia had not earned Holly or my love laying there in that plastic tray (laughs) under a heating lamp. But there is this love that was bestowed on her. There is something about that. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It was the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. For God so loved. Every night, whichever child I'm putting to bed, I pray a simple phrase over them. I say, God, help them to know your love and to trust your love. That's what I want for my kids. As imperfect as I am as a dad. And it allows me most nights to begin with an apology. I'm sorry, I got angry at you for this. I'm sorry. as my dad often did with me. Lord, help them to know your love and to trust your love. Is there anything more than this? Isaiah says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk. We're talking about feast food here. Without money and without price, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why go searching for what our soul really longs for? To know the deep belovedness that we have in our Father's eyes. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me Hear that your soul may live, for I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast and sure love for David. Amen.